This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Bitheads. They are a staple in the tech community I come from and have done incredible work over the past 18 years with some of the largest brands in the world, including The Simpsons, Tapped Out, Box, Optimal Payments, The New York Times, among many, many, many others. All told, they've built over 500 solutions from enterprise to entertainment. I'm proud to have them as a part of Untether.tv. Please support us by supporting them. Go to bitheads.com. everybody and welcome to untether.tv. I'm your host and founder, Rob Woodbridge. When it comes to mobile, be that mobile payments, simple communications, or even privacy, we are all concerned about security. We have to be concerned about security. These are perhaps the gating issues as we take a snapshot of where mobile is today. There are, however, some great companies out there that are trying to figure out a better way away from passwords, which is the biggest challenge I think that we're at right now is this old technology doesn't fit today. Now, these companies are here to help secure our mobile and digital lives, and SecureKey is one of them. They eliminate the need to store passwords by securely linking consumer ID to a trusted device. I'm going to assume that's a smartphone for now, but it could be much, much, much more, uh, certainly wearables when it comes down, down the road. We are joined today by uh, Andre Boysen, who is the SecureKey's Secure Chief Identity Officer to talk about the, how the devices that we carry or will carry can play a huge role in identity and authentication. Andre, thank you for coming on to Untether.tv and sharing your thoughts on this matter. Welcome. Hi, Rob. Thanks so much for the invitation. I appreciate it. So, uh, I, you know, I'm wearing my uh, Canada shirt here because uh, you are a Canadian company. You are based, the company's based in Toronto. You're up in Huntsville. What is it like to be a Canadian company in this space? Do you, do you get the respect that you deserve? Uh, I think we do, actually. When it comes to this particular industry, uh, identity and uh, technology relating to identity, uh, Canada kind of punches above its weight. So across the world, Canadians are looked at as leaders in the space. Is it because of our impartial kind of, uh, you know, the, the reputation of Canadians as peacemakers and, you know, the, the place that you come to to have a, have a restful life? There's no guns. There's, you know what I mean? Is it just we're a secure nation. Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure the, the genesis of it, but it, for sure that when you look across the U.S. and across the U.K., there's a lot of Canadians working in the identity space, working for large organizations, working out this problem of how to get rid of these passwords. Uh, it's great. To be, I, I, uh, I, I'm very interested in having this conversation because we've had lots of uh, talk around uh, around these devices and how they play in this security world, in this commerce world. And there's rumors swirling around everywhere about companies getting into the space and, you know, wearable and tap and pay technology. And, and uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued by where you guys play into this. But I got to start. Basic question is, who is SecureKey? What do you guys do? Uh, so SecureKey is based in Toronto. We've been around for six, uh, six to eight years now. And what we're focused on is uh, helping large organizations be, move beyond passwords. Uh, the challenge we have today is we're all wanting to get access to more and more services online, and that's good. But the challenge is, is that every time we show up, uh, there's this uh, enrollment ceremony and we have to go through for user, for user IDs and passwords, and it's really presenting a, a challenge for users to get access to services. My dad, as an example, is having a very, very tough time getting access to his TD account right now because he forgets the password every week. And so it's a, it's a challenge for him. I'm not kidding. Every week I get a tech support call because he's blowing up his password again. And so we've got to find an easier way. 
You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm 100% in that. And I think that what ends up happening is that we all default to the same password, just out of simplicity. So we all know, I think inherently, that we shouldn't be doing this. And there's so many, so many breaches that happen as a result. Um, and, and it's like a daisy chain, right? So one password here online, and then you use it everywhere. And then all of a sudden, everything has to be changed. And, and is this a bigger problem, do you think, right now, than losing your credit card? Uh, and uh, in a lot of ways, it is actually. Think about that for one moment. If you lose your credit card with one phone call, you can call up the bank and say, "Hey, I lost my credit card," and they're going to turn that thing off, and it ceases to be a vector of attack at all the places it could be used. Not so with your password. When you right, when you when you use your password at more than one place, you got to go to every destination and say, "Hey, I lost my password." And it's it's big. You know, these recovery drills that we're doing every week now with every password breach that happens every week now is a, it's a big fire drill to go reset all your passwords. It's 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 a disaster, and we've got to fix it. Well, uh, I'm going to draw uh, another parallel here, Andre, because I, I look at, uh, say, government, right? Uh, you know, I'm in Ottawa, so it's the seat of the government. So you see a lot of the bureaucracy and the inefficiencies of government. Um, and if you've ever participated in government, you know that, that it's it's basically um, code that was written uh, for, for Canada, you know, 150 years ago, uh, if you equate it to code, uh, that has just been added upon, right? So government, code, was you know version 1.0 and where we are version 150 of government is just bad code on top of bad code without attacking the root problem and and now i, I bring that over to the password you know the password may have been great you know uh 25 years ago or 30 years ago when there wasn't this connected network world um but all of a sudden it seems to me that you know 30 years later we've just built we've built bad code on top of passwords and so passwords are like a remnant uh, a legacy, but why are we still using it today? Um, uh, so I want to build uh, address the first part of your comment first, yeah. and then I'll come to the second part. So the truth is, is you're right. Uh, this uh, building on code is exactly the right analogy, and there's diminishing returns. Every time we have a breach, we add more th another three feet on top of the security fence, and then we're expecting that's going to solve the problem. And we've kind of learned that that's not solving the problem, so we're going to have to take a different approach. Um, one of the challenges for, for government and a lot of services is that, you know, users are, you know, digital natives and they have all sorts of services. Some I go to a lot and, and some I don't go to that often. And so government's got this real challenge and, um, you know, the challenge that they have is as a Canadian, I go to government, uh, you know, the federal provincial level, I might go once a year at most. And so when I go there, uh, I, I forgot my password. And so the challenge for government is they need to have pretty good business confidence. It's really me before they can serve me online. And it's hard to get that confidence when every time I show up, I'm resetting my password. And so that's their conundrum on the online channel is how to solve that problem. And so I think you know your example earlier is a good one. Payment networks kind of add the answer here. Um, both from a, from a web destination point of view and a consumer point of view, they solve a big problem. And that's what we're doing at Secure Keys, using this analogy to try and solve this problem. So you think about it from a consumer point of view, you have your, uh, you know, a debit card from your favorite bank and I have mine from my favorite bank, each of us can go to London and pull a hundred pounds out of a local ATM. So Barclays will give us the hundred pounds and both of us kind of get when we do that, the Barclays doesn't get a permanent attachment to our bank account back home. So it's global scale. I can go to any ATM on the planet and I can pull money out. So from a user point of view, that really works. One card, global access. Now it also works from a merchant point of view. So if you take a, a large retailer, uh, like Walmart or maybe Sears. Uh, what they're most interested in when I go there is to make sure that they get good funds for the things I want to buy. They don't care what credit card I used. And so they'll take Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover, they'll take PayPal and they'll take Bitcoin when that becomes popular. So they don't care about the card. So what we need is that same kind of thing for us online. 
So when I go to a web destination, I don't have to get a user ID and password from my destination. They can accept one that I have already. And so there's a good example of where we're doing this in Canada. In fact, Canada is leading the world here in terms of how we're going to make eGov work online. So the government of Canada has a service that we stood up for them that allows Canadians use the bank account to get to government now. So if I want to get access to CRA, I can use my bank account to get there. And so the, the kind of the, the way this works is I'll go to, say, CRA and say, hey, I want to see my tax returns. And they're going to say, Andre, well, they don't know who I am yet, but they'll say, who are you? And then they'll put up a service that allows me to choose a bank that I have a relationship with. So I might choose TD Bank today. So I'll click on TD Bank, and then the service takes me over to TD Bank. I'll authenticate with TD Bank the way I do every day for online banking. And having successfully done that, what happens is uh, TD will produce an anonymous security token and give it back to our service. We take that anonymous security token and we re-anonymize it and we give it back to CRA. So, so CRA, I'm going to explain it and then you can ask me your question. So CRA has this anonymous security token, and they're going to be in one of two conditions. If they've seen it before, they're going to say, hi, Andre, welcome back. If they haven't seen it before, they're going to do this exact same thing they might have done if they were otherwise going to give me a user ID and password. They'll get business certainty, it's really me. And having gotten that business certainty, they're going to bind that token to my profile, which means that every time I show up in future, it's easy for me to get in. So now getting access to government is easy for me. <laughs> so... D does that mean that the banks become, I, I, you know, identity deliverers? Um, yeah. So it's not that different from what they do in the payment model today with right. debit cards and credit cards. Yep. They issue a, a, a credential to me, the user, and I can use it to any destination on the planet. In this model, uh, we think banks are very well suited to play this role, as are wireless carriers. I was going to say carriers are huge. Devices. Yep. And carriers are also very well situated to doing this for two reasons. One is they have a national footprint through every main street and every town in the country is one reason. They're already trusted and they already have this trusted role in, in, in my life. And so they're very well suited to play this role, both of them. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I know that Facebook, uh, you know, a lot of conversation around Facebook with, with their mass number of people, 1.2, 1.3, whatever billion people that use Facebook, uh, is really becoming an identity company, right? With single sign-on and, and Facebook sign-on. And Google is doing the same thing. And, and you're going to start to see Twitter doing the same thing. And and it, it, it emanates from this idea that uh, we only want to log in one time with one uh, username and one password and, and then be constantly authenticated by that username and password, just like you're talking about the banks. Um, is is you think that's their strategy? Uh, and and if if so, is that a good one? Do we trust Facebook enough, or do we trust our banks? I mean, I hate my carrier flat out. I hate Rogers. I hate paying them every month. It's an it's an evil necessity, right? And I think we all feel that. Um, but you're right. Is that I have a trusted relationship. I've been with them for 22 years, right? They know me. Um, and uh, and same thing with my bank. But there there's a world of of unbanked people who don't have bank accounts and people don't have long-term relationships with carriers who do pay as you go. So how, how does how does all of that fit into this kind of secure world? Obviously, there's going to be multiple providers. Could Facebook be one of them? Um, maybe. And so I, I don't think that was really what they set out to do. But uh, I, I would say, you know, the, they don't really meet the fit for the purpose test. So by way of example, I would say I think we'd agree that we're a long way from uh, changing title on a house with Facebook, right? It's not really designed for that purpose. I shouldn't That's do that. Not, <laughs> no. Well, they, they, they don't, they don't know today performing this role of trust. Yes. And that's not really what they set out to do either. Um, but they are getting into the, you know, Facebook Connect and you got Google Connect and these uh, connector services. They are kind of cool on one level because it makes, they do provide a level of convenience for the user. 
But there's two challenges that are we're going to prevent them from scaling. Three, actually. One is, is that users are worried about you know, how much Facebook knows about them. And so they're limited to the growth has been limited for that reason. You, you know, users don't want to use you know, uh, them for that purpose. That's one problem. Uh, the second problem is uh, there's no privacy in the middle from a network point of view either. And so that's, you know, the web services are also concerned about you know, Google or Facebook getting too much power over their customers. The last part from a, from a web service point of view is the biggest challenge. So if I'm a new web service, I created newservice.com, and I, I, do, I have this um, you know, bootstrap problem of getting users on board. The challenge I've got is uh, I've got to go out now to Google, Facebook, and Twitter, and each of them has their own one-sided contract that I've got to sign that I've got to agree to if I want to take their credentials. So I've got three different contracts that I have to sign that may or may not line up in terms of how the service works. Any one of them can decide at any point in time that we're not in the credential sharing business anymore. I'm gone. And then my SLA for my customers is gone is another problem. Right. And so the, the last part of it is, is actually there the, the, from a technology point of view. I also have three different connector technologies that I've got to support. And so that's that kind of really limits its ability to scale. You contrast that with payment networks as an example. If I'm a small merchant, I want to start taping cards. I get one terminal on my desktop. I can take credit cards and debit cards from across the planet. Yeah. So it's all sorted out for the, the endpoint. This is not there yet for the internet. We've got to get to that point. Do you think so that, I, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, so it's just going to say that that's kind of where the, the industry is going. And uh, to me, for this to really work, we've got to be able to work at the easy end of the spectrum, which is where the Facebook and social connector technologies work today. And they've also got to be able to work at the trusted end of the spectrum, which is more like government access services and things like that. And uh, so that's where we're, where we play. It's, it's uh, you know, you bring it up it's so succinctly is that, uh, you know, you can have varying degrees of, um, of authentication, right? So if, if, for example, for communication authentication through, uh, through a, a conversation like a chat app or something like that, or an email application, um, where, where you require authentication, but you don't need the, the connection to a bank or a carrier authentication, you can give permissions to, to companies like Facebook and Google and, and Twitter to be able to do that. So it's a, it's a, it's a low level authentication, but then as you're right, as you get into deed transference or, or tax returns and audits and all those kind of things, um, you start to, or, or payments, you start to require that deeper connection uh, authentication. So it's good that Facebook might know the version of me on Facebook, Rob, not my real, uh, uh, you know, birth date, not my real address, not my real phone number, just to authenticate so I can send messages. But in order for me to be able to go and buy a house, you need to know everything about me down to my SIN number. That's exactly right. And so what's important underneath all of this is make sure we get the privacy story right. And so all of us do uh, have these personas that we'd like to have for different purposes online. And that's we did a study last year with Forrester Research where we actually uh, asked users about their online habits and, and what they did to manage their online life. And what we found in the case of social media is there is exactly what you just pointed out. There's a lot of fudging going on. People are fudging their personal details to protect their privacy, which is a good thing to do. But the challenge is then it becomes this fit for purpose thing that I talked about at the beginning. It's not really going to allow us to get to those places where access to your money is an example. You want to make, you know, as a user, you want to be pretty darn sure that the bank is going to be rigorous when anybody presents with a withdrawal note, right? You want to know that the bank can really know it's you. And so you've got to have enough on file with them so that they can really do that. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, here's a perfect example is that um, not many people know this, but uh, when I was maybe 11 years old, I robbed a bank. <laughs> can, I, can I say that on, on camera? Should, should, I, should I be saying that? So the actual limitation lives here and I'm loving exactly. There's nobody that listens to this anyway, so don't worry about it, Andre. <clears throat> um, no, literally, I, I, uh, 
I observed my sister, who was a couple of years older, going into the bank, Bank of Nova Scotia, up here in Canada. <clears throat> and she, uh, I watched her deposit money into this bank account. She saved, like, life savings, babysitting money she put into the bank account. And I went with her often to the bank and, and did that. And then um, I saw her once, you know, fill out this withdrawal form. You know, back in the day, you had to do that. Uh, it, was, it was pen and paper. And walk up to the teller and hand it to them, and they would give her cash. So I watched this, you know, over sequence. And then, you know, I was 11 years old one day, and I wanted to go to the arcade with my buddy. And uh, I walked into the Bank of Nova Scotia bank and forth here in Ottawa uh, and I walked in and I filled out a withdrawal slip and uh, signed it like Robbie Woodbridge and uh, walked up to the teller kind of put it up under the teller and uh, you know they gave me the 20 bucks and I walked out and I took it right out of my sister's account and I did this like nine times right and then she went one day to go to her bank and and to say like you know I'd like to finally buy that thing that I was going to buy and she went to withdraw her money and she had no money in her bank account and she's like what so they went through and they looked at all the withdrawal slips and there it was Robbie Woodbridge withdrawing $180 from his sister's account. I robbed Scotia Bank right out from underneath him. Like, I didn't have to go in there with a gun or a bandito mag- uh, mask. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was it, but you know, that's, and I think a lot of that happens today. You know, maybe it's a little bit more sophisticated, but that 11 year old walking up to the teller and withdrawing money, that stuff happens all the time through this digital, through these breaches. And I think that, you know, uh, whether you whether you secure this or you find there was no authentication of identity back in the day, they didn't have a photo of what my sister looked like. And they just went on blind faith that no idiot would ever walk up with a withdrawal slip and ask for money. So, uh, yeah, I robbed a bank when I was 11 years old. (laughs) Not only I robbed it nine times. That story. Well, I love the story. Now, if I'm not doing the show anymore, you know where I am. I'm in prison as a result of <laughs> my, my sister knows. Obviously, I, I worked it off at a dollar an hour. But um, so uh, this this model doesn't work. Obviously, the, the current model. But I, I, I'm really fascinated to understand how how these or how these devices like smartphones, devices, wearable devices start to, to play into this, because, you know, these these right now obfuscate passwords. Right. They don't yep. eliminate password like Apple's put a, you know, a finger uh, uh, a finger reader on this. But ultimately, it's just referencing a password. Right. Yeah. So so how do these things, in your view, how do these things play into this world of getting rid of the password and securing uh, identity? Uh, so the, the short answer is they're going to be vital and, and they are the path forward. So let's uh, <laughs> just set this up as a way uh, as a way to, to illustrate illustrate the example. So Facebook, which has access to nothing we really care about, has the same kind of password ritual I have everywhere, which says I have a, an eight-character password that has to have long, crazy characters with Egyptian glyphs. I promise to change it every 15 seconds, and I, I promise I won't share it anywhere else. I made all those promises to Facebook. So Facebook, long, crazy password, but my bank card, by contrast, which has access to all my money, only has a four-digit PIN. It's crazy. It sounds like a security paradox. How can that be true? Let's examine what's happening under the covers. Facebook only has the, the password for security, so they have to make it long and crazy because that's their only defense. By contrast, the bank is putting the security in the card. It's not in the password. And that's why we can get away with a four-digit pin on the card. So that's a clever and important insight. When we can put the security in the stuff people have, we don't have to put the security in the people's head, hmm. which hmm. is where it is today. So that's kind of the path forward. So when you look at mobile devices, these actually have the power to do exactly that. And so our company is actually working on a model to do exactly that. There's a, an, a, an industry forum that we're a part of called the FIDO Alliance, which is 
working on this problem, how to take devices, the Internet of Things, and make those the anchor for our online life. And that, that's where it's going to go. So we do think mobile is going to be the center for this model. And the concept is like I talked about a few minutes ago is that consumers are going to be able to choose their favorite trusted provider and it's going to be a carrier or a bank to be the, their primary relationship provider. Having established that relationship, you can say, these are my devices, this is my phone, this is my tablet, and uh, this is my wearable device. And having done that, you're going to be able to use that like a credit card and go to wherever you want to go on the internet. And we think that's the right path forward. As much as I hate going out and telling 300 websites that I've, you know, I, I've got to change my password, I'm going to hate it even more if I have to go do that every time I change my phone, right? I'm not going to go to 300 websites and say I got a new phone, right? It, it's just it's not going to work that way. The, the, the reason is, is one is that's a complete pain in the ass. That's the first problem. The second problem is, is that from a user point of view, the challenge is I've got if I've lost my phone, I can't go to these 300 websites and tell them I've lost my phone because I don't have the phone to prove that it was me in the first place. And so, what am I going to do? remote wiping the phone is going to be an easy thing to do. Both Apple and Android support that. So I can take the phone out of service much like I can by calling the bank with it and taking my credit card out. So that part's done. But the, the second part is that the re-enrollment part, so recovery. How am I going to do that? So that's going to be the challenge. This is a, if we don't get this right, this is going to be account takeover all over again. If anybody can pretend to be anybody when we lose a phone, I'm just going to start remote wiping people's phones and then try and masquerade as them. So today, how we do it is knowledge-based questions, these silly questions, right? What kind of car was I in the first time I made out? Like What's your mother's maiden name, yeah. Yeah, stuff, yeah, that you, stuff that you can find out easily online by any search. Right, this is the crazy thing. They're not even secrets. I've gone through all the trouble to make 300 websites unique passwords, but the recovery questions are all the same. It's nuts. Okay, so the challenge then is I can't go to 300 websites and tell them I've got a new phone. So I need to be able to go to one trusted provider and say, here's my new phone. And then the rest of the world doesn't need to know about the change, like the credit card model. Yeah. And, and so, you know, do we add complexity? It just seems, are we, are we masquerading the password using these devices or are we coming up with a brand new? So, so let me re rephrase this question because uh, are we coming up with a new and unique way of authentication if all we're doing is masquerading the passwords uh, through the mobile devices? Because uh, that's what it almost seems like, it, like, like what we would be doing. Yeah, so what's important here uh, is uh, there's two things. One is we've got to hide the security and two, we've got to make sure it's, uh, we per uh, create a rituals users can actually perform. So why the payment networks are so successful is because the payment ritual for the user no matter where they go on the planet is the same. For all the card brands, they all do it the same way. So if we do not do that in, in, in online services, the users are going to get confused. And it's already happening. As much as we have password hell today, I, I'm here to tell you second factor hell is going to be much worse. <laughs> okay, so I've got Evernote and, and Google and Twitter. They all like to send me SMS messages on my phone. I've got the Google, Google app authenticator that I use for getting into Google. And then there's another service I use with Twofer that I have to use to get into my LastPass account. My PayPal account requires me to take a second factor dongle and I stick it in my computer. And there's a new web service coming out that's going to make me look in the camera and say boo, right? <laughs> so every web service dreaming up some new way to get me in. It, it can't work like that. It's nuts. So we've got to make the payment ritual or the authentication ritual the same for the users. That's the first point. The next point then is that we've got to make sure that we, we make this uh, strong. So 
the I think passwords are going. The truth is, is that they are going to be around for a period of time. They're not going to go away, but they're going to be coupled with something else. And I think that is going to be your mobile devices that you always have. And so that's going to be the model: is you're going to anchor your online life in the devices that you possess with a primary provider, and you can use that every, everywhere else you go. What about companies that are kind of leveraging these the, the wearable technology? Um, you know, there's a Toronto-based company that that actually does this with your EKG, uh, your heart rate, your you know, it authenticates you. Yeah, NIMI, right? And and uh, so when you when you look at something like that. Um, can you use your body algorithm as instead of a password? And so that basically their premise is that you're always authenticated. As soon as you, you know, depress that and it's on your wrist and as long as there's a heartbeat, uh, you know, it authenticates you wherever you go. Is, is that an answer? Is that, is that, are we, is that on a path to an answer? Um, maybe. I think it's additive. I don't think it's the answer. Mm. And so I, I like Biondome. I think what they're doing is very cool. Yeah. The challenge is going to be, though, is that what's the model in the future? Are we going to have an Uber credential that is, uh, you know, one company, global corporation that authenticates us to everything? Or is it going to be a distributed model the way it is today? Uh, so we are on a path to Uber corporation, and that it may go that way, but I hope not. The better privacy answer and the better scalability answer is that it's a distributed model. Today, your identity is distributed. It's, 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 and so I, my own strong belief is it's going to continue that way in the future. So I, I do think that there's good add, additive technologies that will help around the edges, but that's not going to be the core. The core is going to be uh, the, this payment network model that I've been talking about. It's definitely going that way. And then at the end points, uh, like with my trust provider, if my trusted provider wants to use a BNM to authenticate me to their service, I think that's okay. But that doesn't oblige every other service to do that, that same thing. So I think that's more likely to be the way that it goes. And um, yeah, that, that's my sense of where it'll happen. What are the what are the gating issues here for all of this to happen? Like, I, I do I see the banks becoming you know setting up an SDK or an API uh, for identity or the carriers to do that? I mean, these are sacred things to those organizations. So, I mean, what are the gating challenges here for for that vision that you have? Um, so, what's going to be important here is two things. One is that we've got to get our primary providers, banks and telcos, set up to strongly anchor their security and devices, and so. Our company is working on making that very easy for them to do with this SDK. So importantly, what we are able to do for the bank is we can actually make this a very, very strong authentication device. Even today, when I download my banking app on this phone, what I have to do is I type in my 16-digit client code onto this phone, and my eight-character password on the internet becomes 16 characters on this darn thing with the keyboard swaps. Right? It's a nutty model. Yeah, what yeah. we do is our company has got our technology now embedded in all sorts of consumer devices. We're shipped in 450 million uh, Intel laptops today. We can address all mobile market, in-market mobile phones today with a, a, an SDK, and we're also working on getting embedded in the hardware of uh, the mobile phones. So what that means from a banking point of view or a, a carrier point of view is we can do much like the Apple can. We can make it very easy for the bank to make a very, very strong um, mobile app on this phone. So now it can be four-digit PIN to get into my bank on my phone. And if we can make it that good at the bank or at the carrier, then you can use that same experience now when I want to go somewhere else. So when I go over to CRA in the future, as an example, I'll be able to authenticate on my phone with a four-digit PIN to get into CRA. And it's my bank that's providing that service for me over at CRA. 
That's how it's going to work, in my opinion. Well, you know, it's it's fascinating because, um, you, you know, I also look at you brought up Apple as as the as the gorilla here. I mean, they are they have a database of over eight hundred million credit cards, right? And and all yeah. these rumors that are swirling around by the time this episode is airs that that we will have satisfied whether or not they are getting into the mobile payment space. But they are right now, as far as I know, probably the biggest authenticator of identification on the planet when it comes to an independent company outside of a carrier and outside of well, even carriers. Um, Certainly outside of um, outside of the banks, um, but you know, do they play a role in in this? And can they look at identity and innovate around identity more so than the banks and the carriers? Um, so I'm a big fan of Apple. I've got a lot of Apple products, and I've been an Apple customer for a long time. I like their stuff, but the challenge with the Apple model is the walled garden. So Apple wants everything to happen from inside Apple's walled garden. And so that doesn't help the government as an example. It doesn't help all these other websites that are trying to do things competitive to Apple because Apple's not going to let them in. Yeah. So what is going to happen is today, one of the challenges is, is that my street identity, the stuff I carry in my wallet, my online identity are distinct. And so they both have their own uh, attack surface. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to see your digital ID and your uh, street ID come together. And the reason I think that's happening is because of what's happening in payments. And Apple's a, a good example here. So what was happening is, is that with street payments, with my credit cards in my wallet, I could take those around to the store and that would work everywhere. But that didn't work so well online. Every time I went on the internet and I just put a 16-digit number, 16 number in my browser, I could buy stuff online. There was a lot of attacks happening that way because anybody who knew the number could buy stuff in my name. Mm -hmm. So Apple and PayPal have started to innovate to make online payments easier. And so we've got very good online payment rituals now, but they, those online payment things don't work very well in the street. And so we're having this flyby happening the street guys are trying to get better on online payments. And so you're seeing things like tokenization happening in the credit card world to get, come up with effectively one-time credit cards. And then you're seeing Apple and PayPal doing the opposite. They're getting, taking their digital stuff and they're bringing it into the street with beacons. And so we've seen this flyby so that the, the street payment ritual and the digital payment ritual are going to be the same for the user. My argument is that same thing is going to happen with digital ID and authentication. So the province of British Columbia is doing something that's very cool like that. So the province of British Columbia is one of our, uh, uh, our partners we're working with to, to make this happen. So we've worked with them to take an EMV card and stick a contactless EMV card and stick it inside their services card and driver's license. Let's look at what this can do now. For the province of British Columbia, they're going to be able to be in a place where I, when I go to the doctor, I'm going to be able to tap this on uh, a terminal at the doctor's office and I'm going to be able to get access to my health services. So that's kind of cool. That's giving me a very, very easy way to get access to health services. And that's, you know, that's good incremental stuff for BC. But it gets cool is that later when I want to come home and see my health record on, on the internet, the problem is going to be is how are they going to do that? Today, the way they would have to do it is they give me a password that's like this in order to get the, the, their business assurance high enough to be able to serve records online. Instead of that, what BC can do now is say, hey, Andre, just go down to the Best Buy and buy a new Android phone and then download the BC Health Services app. And then I'm going to be able to say, hey, I want to see my health record. I'm going to tap my BC Services card on the back of my Android phone Having done that, I'll enter a four-digit PIN that goes with my health services card, and now I can get access to my health record on my phone in a very easy way for the user, but still very strong. So that's how it's going to happen. But it gets better than that. Now that I've actually enrolled my phone with BC, the next day when I go to the doctor, I can take my phone with me and tap that on the doctor's office terminal instead. So now the user's done this ritual themselves with stuff that they got. And it, it, the, so the, the, the user model is consistent and it's easy for the user to achieve, but the security model underneath is also very, very strong. So I think it's more likely to evolve that way. 
So what we need to do is bring street ID and digital ID together. BC is leading the, the way around the world in, in terms of how this is going to happen. And I think that's going to continue to be the path forward. What's important to understand when, you, when it comes to identity is that government is the seed of identity. They're the ones that gave you your birth certificate. You couldn't get that credit card that Apple has on file without a birth certificate to go to the bank to get the credit card to get the credit card to go to Apple. So Apple has built a fortress on routes that other people provided. Those routes are going to continue to evolve and that, that those are going to be how this works in the future. You know, it's, it's so true. And, and uh, whether we like it or not, the government pretty much knows everything about everybody on the planet, right? And I think in Canada, second to that is the debit system, Interact. They know everything about everybody in, in, in Canada as well. Um, uh, but that is that that is an interesting thing. Like, are we talking about temporary access, um, temporary applications here? So when I download, say that uh, the BC Health app, for example, and I tap it, um, does that does that authenticate the phone? Does that authenticate the app? Is it in the phone layer? Or is it the app layer? Um, so the, the the root of it is the the fact that the BC gave me something that was very hard to get. I had to go in person to get this card. Right. Right. And they did a very, very strong identity proofing with me when I got that. Mm -hmm. So that's the first point. So this is what the whole thing is based on. We also know that users are very, very uh, strongly motivated to recover. If I lose my health card or my driver's license, I'm very, very motivated to recover. What that means is I got to go down to the, 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 the desk again and say, I lost my card. So when they do that, they're going to, BC will take this card out of service and then they'll give me a new one. So we know users are motivated to do that, and they will, because they, if they get stopped, they won't be able to show the, the police office their driver's license. They won't be able to get access to a new bank account, and they can't go to the doctor. So users will go do that. So the rest of this model is anchored on something that users motivated to recover. And then, having done that, users can go buy their own stuff in the store, and then they can add stuff to make their life the way they want to make it. So everybody can make their choices about how to configure their life. If I want to have no online access to anything, I can do that. If you want to have three phones in your life, you can do that. So every user gets choice about how they want to configure their life. And that's the way we need to do this, not compelling people to show up for service the way we want to, but give them choice about how they present for service. And do you see that day where, where you know, for example, that card that you had from, from British Columbia, is that, is that the be-all and end-all card? So that's like your, your identity <clears throat> card, and then that's the enabling framework for all the other services on top of it, like so banking services. You know, so I, I download my bank app from CIBC or whatever, and I tap it, and that card is my authentication for the ID for that, uh, for that bank account. Do you see that that, uh, like, like the credit card companies, and then when, when you lose that card, it just kills all services that are yeah. fixed with that. So the, 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 the truth is, is identi identity is seeded by government. So there, there is no private corporation that will create a record for me of consequence without a pointer to something in a public record. Mm -hmm. So the state have to say, has to say Andre exists before the bank will give a, a bank account in the name of Andre Boyson. So that, that root document has to be there. But having done that, there's lots of providers I can go to to get a bank account. And so I can choose one I like the best, and you can choose the one you like the best. And that, that, that property of how this system works needs to be continue to go forward as we move forward to this online world. Uh, it's a fascinating approach, right? Is that uh, it obfuscates everything. It just, it, it, uh, you do all the heavy lifting once and then, uh, and then you can be, you know, you have peace of mind that everything else that you do from that point forward, everything that you tap uh, will, will live as long as that card is in use. And as soon as that card is not in use, you, you know, everything else just crumbles below. So you'll have to re-authenticate with all the other services, but at least you don't have to change your password on 300 websites. 
Right. So what, what's important here is even if I lose my BC driver's license and if I've used my BC driver's license to go get a bank account, the fact that I've lost my driver's license doesn't invalidate my bank account. Right. My bank account stands on its own. So the trust provider is, has its own uh, mechanism to trust and operate with. And so that it's not like uh, one card comes out and everything else falls. There's going to continue to be work the same way it does today. So if I lose my driver's license, I get a new driver's license. Doesn't mean I got to go get a new bank account, right? So the bank is my primary financial provider. They have their own relationship with me, and that they have their own risk management profile. That stays that way. Mm -hmm. And then with my bank, if I, you know, them being my primary authenticator, if I lose my phone, I can go to the bank and say, "Hey, I've lost my phone. Here's my new phone." Then, as I use that across the internet, that change I only have to do once. Yeah, I mean, I. You, you know, the whole process of simplicity, and I love the idea that you have to create this, uh, the same, you know, uh, like the credit cards, as you said, that they have this the same process by which you use your credit cards, whether you're swipe or you've got a, pin, a chip and pin, right, where you, everybody knows inherently how to use it. You have it in your hand, you know how to use it, um, except for usually the, the uh, elderly woman in front of me at the grocery store just has no clue sometimes, right? But um, but there's something that we, we were talking about before we started filming, which was this the impact of the cumbersome password about that dance that you do at a new website. Um, and, uh, you, you know, we, I, it dawned on me, we often think about, you know, having to fill that out and, and you kind of equate it to dating versus getting married. Um, but there is a significant impact. There could have be a significant impact on your business if you come at passwords or you come at authentication the way that we're doing it right now. Do you want to explain that, what we were talking about before? Yeah, sure. So the, the challenge is, is that um, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I have 300 user IDs and passwords <laughs> that I Okay. And it, it's crazy. So here's what's crazier 200 are mine, and our 100 are for my wife and kids and for my father. I manage their stuff too. <clears throat> and the reason I manage their stuff is it's too hard for them to do. So my dad is this password. My dad loves the internet, he's on the internet all day long. But this password thing is completely beyond him, and he can't—he just can't manage. And so uh, I'm getting support requests from him every single week. So I'm the CIO for my family. Nice. And so the, the challenge from a, from a user point of view is that you know I, I read something in the newspaper or I hear something interesting from you, and I want to go check out this website. And there's a real disconnect between the user frame of mind and the website's frame of mind when these interactions occur. So the challenge I've got is I've, I'm showing up this website for the first time. I'm not sure if I'm coming back. It's like a first date. Right, so I'm in a very, very casual point of view. The web service is in a very different point of view. They're, they want to give me something, but before they can do that, they've got to do this ritual. They make me make three promises that I know I'm not going to keep. The first promise they make me make that I know I'm not going to keep is that I'm, I'm, I'm going to make this password 30 characters long and it's going to have Egyptian glyphs. Well, you know, I, I'm not going to do that if I can avoid it. The second promise they make me make I know I'm not going to keep is that I'm going to change my password every 15 seconds. Well, I'm going to change my password never if I can get away with it. And the third one, which is the craziest one, is they, they, they make me promise to love this website above all other websites and not share this <laughs> anywhere else. Well, <clears throat> the only way I can manage my online life is by making some of these passwords the same. And so there's a real disconnect between what the user is trying to accomplish and what the website is trying to accomplish. And so the problem is, this is the, the interesting thing, is all day long web services are out there admonishing users, don't share your passwords across sites. But we're seeing that's exactly what users are doing. So it's not very often you're successful in business not giving users what they want. So if, if this is what users actually want, we've got to find a way to do this that makes it safe for them to do it. 
And this is where this credit card model works so well again, right? I have one credit card that I use across the planet and it doesn't present a risk to me because there's a good underlying security mechanism in place. And when I lose the credit card, I can turn that one off and get a new one and I can continue on. So that's going to be important to make this model scale. So yeah, that, that's, that's what's important here is, is that we've just really got to find a way to allow users to present for service in a way that makes them easy to get what they want, but still allow the web service you're trying to access to get the business confidence that they need to serve without doing this crazy dating ritual that we do today. And then, I mean, the, the far-reaching implications of that is that if you're, if you're a, a retail site or if you're a consumer-facing site or anything that's requiring you to register or get a username and a password because uh, and somebody wants to buy a product, you said something that's so great. You said, well, I'm just going to go and log on to a service that already has my username and password. So Sam, I'm at a retailer X. And I find the product that I want, and they're requesting me to log in and do everything and create a password. Well, I'm just going to go find that product on Amazon, where I already have a trusted relationship, and go buy it there. So it's it's almost like these companies that are that are doing this, that they think they're doing the right thing, they're they're closing the deal, are actually losing the deal to the company that you already have a trusted relationship with. And maybe that's this infrastructure around this single sign-on, this credit card uh, concept, will really help those companies move away from this cumbersome approach of getting uh, setting up a username and password setting up the credentials in order to buy one product. Yes, that, that's exactly the, the right point. So the first point I want to say is actually, I should have raised this earlier, is, is that one of the things that's cool about um, you know companies like ours is, is that we're getting rid of passwords altogether. So in the example I talked about a few minutes ago, one of the things we're doing that's cool is that when we uh, use the phone to authenticate, when I authenticate to the phone, uh, I'm not actually sending a password out over the internet. What we're doing is sending a piece of, it's called a cryptogram, which is basically a secret message that gets validated by the service. And that sends an authentication event, like a push event to your phone, out to the web service. So we think that's going to be the path forward. So if I have a trusted relationship, what I'm going to do with that merchant in the future is say, I want to share with you my name and my address because I know you need to ship with something with me. I'll authenticate with my bank and ask them to push those two things over to that merchant. And so I think that's going to be a better model. To be fair to the, the web services that are out there, you know, the reason they're asking these questions is they have a duty to uh, be diligent in the first instance, and then they also have to keep all of the stuff secure. So they're, they're, their heart is in the right place, but the, the effect is, is, is working against them. Because they have this um, big ritual that they're doing, the challenge from a user point of view is if I can find an alternate that's less pain for me, I'll do it. And so we've got to find a way that takes the friction out of the purchase experience for every web destination I want to go to so that this, these secondary sites other than Amazon can also be able to be successful in selling stuff to, to users. I like Amazon, but there are places that I want to go that aren't Amazon, but I still want it to be easy. That's the most important message that you can get out of this is that ultimately, uh, you know, the consistency of payment that has made credit card uh, a very short in a short order for credit card. It took, you know, it took hundreds of years. It took thousands of years to cash for cash to get to where it got. But, you know, D-Hawk invented Visa in the 60s. And here we are in a very short order with uh, ubiquitous use and acceptance of credit cards and see what it's done. So, um, you know, there's a reason for that. And, and certainly passwords are new, relatively new when it comes to digital activity. And we still have to get to that point where, uh, you know, th they just don't fit this model. We have to get to that credit card uh, model for, uh, for securing identity. Uh, I think it's a fascinating approach. Where can we send more people to, where can we send people to get more information? So www.securekey.com is uh, our website. That's a great place to go to learn more about how we're bringing this credit card model to the front. 
I'd also encourage people to look at the FIDO Alliance. FIDO Alliance is going to do this thing that I talked about a few minutes ago, allowing users to anchor their online life and devices they bought in the store. So that's the second Google Place. In Canada, we have the DIAC, which is the Digital Identity and Authentication Council of Canada, which is a, a forum to create this uh, online digital ecosystem for Canada. So that's another great place to come and help make all of this happen. Amazing, amazing. Andre, this is... I, I knew it would be a good conversation because it's such a it's such an important subject, um, and uh, you know rather than attack um, you know hashing passwords, let's get rid of the passwords. And I think that this is one of those uh, things because as you said you know at the very beginning, very early on is that this has been the year of the breach, uh, and and you know I don't even think that we've really had that mobile breach yet. That is the breach of breaches. Uh, that back in the day, I think it was like uh, ESPN had a massive breach: 280 million credit cards exposed uh, early on in the you know early e-commerce days on the web, and that really opened people's eyes. And then I think the target breach on the credit card side is one thing, but when it comes to mobile, I, I hope we don't have it. But we're heading towards it. We have to make sure that everything that we do is authenticated. Everything that we do is secure in order to be able to not push that industry back into the stone age. Or else I wouldn't be doing doing this show. So uh, I think what you're doing is, is amazing. I'm, I'm definitely going to keep up with what you guys are doing. And if there's ever an opportunity when you have a uh, a case study or some something that you guys are willing to push out there and have a good conversation around, please, I'd love to have that conversation with you here on Untether.tv if you're up for it. Rob, thanks so much for the opportunity today. We do have some very cool announcements coming out in the next three months, so I would encourage uh, for us to get together maybe in the next uh, three months and I can tell you about some cool things we're doing in mobile. There are some cool things afoot. Can't wait, man. Cannot wait. Uh, we've been speaking uh, with Andre Boysen, who is the uh, the CIO, the Chief Identity Officer for uh, a company called SecureKey. Uh, so go to securekey.com uh, and check them out. And of course, if you have any questions about this episode, reach out to me, Robert on Tether.tv, and I'll make sure that I pass them on to Andre. I'm sure he would be uh, more than willing to, uh, to have a conversation with you. But check out securekey.com. I want to thank Andre for being on the show. Thank you, Andre. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. I appreciate it. And I want to thank you guys out there who are listening. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, be secure. That's my advice for you. We'll see you next time on Untether.tv.